Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. It's not that, Andrew. On the Red Apple Podcast Network, here's Andrew Giuliani. Welcome to another episode of Not That Andrew with Andrew Giuliani. And today I am delighted to be joined by one of the most colorful characters in Yankee history and actually really the ace of the greatest team in all of baseball history, David Boomer Wells. David, it's great to have you on. Andrew, I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you. Of course, of course. Well, look, we, you know, so many... So many great memories going back to uh, that 98 team and and, uh, all your times in pinstripes here. But, you know, I got to tell you, one of the first things that I think about is the Babe Ruth hat that you ended up putting on at Yankee Stadium. I think it was in 97. What's the backstory behind that? I just, a friend of mine, because I was collecting memorabilia a lot back then. And, you know, and obviously growing up a Yankee fan in San Diego. You know, I was Padres, Yankees, and just Babe Ruth always did something for me. As a little kid, I'd always pretend I was him from watching all the old films and just reading up on the history of, of the Yankees and Babe Ruth. And so a buddy of mine in Texas had a, a memorabilia shop, and I would buy a lot of stuff through him. And he contacted me one day and says, hey, there's a Babe Ruth hat available. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, it's 35 grand. I'm like, 35 grand. I said, tell them 25, they got a deal. <laughs> but make sure it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, it's legit, all right, but they ain't budging. I'm like, then let's do it. Let's buy it. So <laughs> I ended up buying it. And when I got it, I'm like, oh my God, this is cool. I think I'm going to wear it in a game. And, <laughs> and I guess word got out a little bit. And Joe Torrey came up and says, Boomer, you're not wearing that hat. And I go, oh, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, we'll see. And I go, yeah, we will. <laughs> so right then and there, I just knew then I was going to wear it because he just forbidden it. So <laughs> how did you sneak it out? And the rest is history. What's that? How did you sneak it out on the field? How'd you get it out to the mound? Well, I was warming up and we were playing Cleveland that day and I was warming up. And after I warmed up, I usually went up into the clubhouse and Either I I changed my undershirt or whatever, got some water, and I had the hat in the locker. And so I said, you know what? Heck with it. Let's do it. And I took it out of the box, (laughs) and I put it on, and I walked down the tunnel of old Yankee Stadium, and I was right at the end, those stairs that go up into the dugout, and I saw Jeter and Posada just standing there getting ready to go. And I'm I'm like, hey. I go, Jeet. He go, he turned around and go, well, I said, go. And he goes, what? And I go, go. <laughs> run out on the field. Because you know when they run out on the field, they start the music. And we did that. And I went from the tunnel to the, to the mound. And Joe was not thrilled. So, <laughs> well, I love that. I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Derek Jeter was your lead blocker in that scenario right there. That, that makes it even all the better. You know, what was it like to wear Babe Ruth's hat at the house that Ruth built? I mean, that had to be kind of awe-inspiring. That's why I was going to wear it. And, you know, and Joe, of all people, Joe Torrey should have, you know, should have been thrilled because, you know, he grew up there in New York. He's a Yankee fan. He's been to all three perfect games. Yeah, that's right. He was at Uh, Larson's perfect game, I was reading. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then he was managing mine and Dave's. Yeah. And if anybody had the history, it would have been Joe. Yeah. And he was total opposite. And <laughs> I was just like, wow, this is crazy. So I wore it. He wasn't thrilled. I only lasted a couple innings. I, I took it off after the first thing. He made me take it off. <laughs> so I should have just kept wearing it until I got taken out of the game. But if I remember, you but, pitched a perfect inning with, with uh, David Well with David Well well, it was your hat, but with Babe Ruth's hat on. I could have. <laughs> <laughs> it was early because I know I didn't get out of the third or fourth inning. So it was one of the two. I think it was the first inning maybe. So so anyways, he got pretty pissed off at me and so after the game, he called me in his office and he and he fined me twenty five hundred bucks. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? Is that all? <laughs> like, whatever. So sure. you're pretty shallow, Joe. You're pretty shallow. <laughs> I'm sure the va- I'm sure the value went up even more than that. So I'm sure it ended up being a good a good trade for you and a memory that you gave so many Yankee fans. You know, in '97 there. But then speaking about all the memories, obviously, so many Yankee fans, so many baseball fans think of that 1998 team as the greatest team, maybe in sports history, but certainly in in baseball history. And you know, look, you had an incredible, really, roster from 1 to 25, including incredible starting pitching, like yourself, like David Cohn, like El Duque, like Andy Pettit. But you were really the ace of that staff. You went 18-4. and You started the game ones. You were the MVP of the 98 ALCS. Obviously, I'll get to the perfect game in a little bit, but in terms of that playoff run, with all that pressure going in, having won 114 regular season games, at that point, it's kind of like, hey, if you guys don't win the World Series, you guys are goats. And that's the old definition of goats, not like the Tom Brady goat anymore. That's a right. think of. So what do you remember about that playoff run more than anything? You know, it was after, you know, after the first, series of the of the season that year i think we lost our first four games or something like that yeah on the west coast i remember you guys were out in seattle right yeah Yeah. and joe we got back and joe was he was pissed yeah and and i was just like you know managers get mad you know we have our little pet but joe went in we had a meeting and we got back into new york and he called everybody out i mean even jeter a lot of guys weren't happy but you know it's it's just one of those things that it's early on, so why is everyone panicking, especially Joe? But I guess he just felt that the the quality of players that we had to lose four games in a row was absurd, and, and he let us know, and it clicked. You know, It really resonated with a lot of guys, and we came on track. I don't even think we lost another series the rest of the year. Wow. And uh, so we just went in with authority to every everywhere we went in that season, every every stadium we went in with authority and basically mocked and laughed at everybody saying you got no chance with us. <laughs> and and that's just the mentality that we had. I mean, being cocky, sure, but we backed it up and, and to have every guy, you know, it's basically an all-star at every position and everybody doing their job. And it just, we didn't really rely on one guy. Yeah. Everybody stepped up to the plate. And so that just carried over and, you know, and with the pitching staff that we had, you know, you get us a couple runs, we're off and running. And we didn't mind. I mean, if we went six, seven innings, it was great because our bullpen was, you know, was absurd too. It was so good. Yeah. You know, with with Nelly and Graham and Stanton, Mendoza, then Mo to close it out, you had no, you know, so you just had that swag. You had the, 
you know, you just have that, that giddy up every five days as a starter. And I just, you know what, I, we were rolling so good. I just, I felt invincible really. And yeah. I think we all did. I, I can't speak for everybody else, but for myself. And I just said, you know what, Joe, give me the ball and the biggest game and I'll go out and I'll win it for you. And that's the mentality that I had. I had, you know, I wasn't afraid to fail, Yeah. you know, and I just, I just wanted to pitch. I wanted the ball. And, and that's kind of just, you know, when you have that mentality and you have that in your, in your mindset, you can't lose. And and that's basically what we did. Well, if you think if there was any bump potentially in that season after the first week, it was in the ALCS because you guys were down two to one in the ALCS with a big game four and game five coming. Now, everybody remembers the, the great game El Duque pitched in game four, but you pitched game five in Cleveland on the road and really got the Yankees back to the stadium with a 3-2 lead. But that series and that season could have gone a very different way had games four and five not gone your way in Cleveland. Well, and that reflects to the year before, 97, Yeah, because I owned Cleveland. Cleveland could not beat me. Which is amazing I mean, when you I, think about, sorry to interrupt, but when you think about that lineup, that lineup was unbelievable. That might have been the best, most powerful lineup in the game at that point. Maybe them, Seattle, but you think about Tomei and Manny Ramirez. I mean, they, they were stacked in that lineup. They were, and that to me is probably the best offensive team I've ever seen in, in the history of baseball. Wow. You know, that's how good Cleveland was, but they didn't have pitching. Yeah. They had a couple of guys, but they just, they didn't have what we had. And, but to me, I wanted to pitch against the best teams, the best lineups. That was my mentality. And 97, I told Joe Torrey, I said, when we go into play, I said, pitch me game one, give me two chances against Cleveland. And obviously he wouldn't do it. He pitched Cone <laughs> and then Cone, had to come out because he had the aneurysm. Right. And I think Doc came in and, and filled it in. So going fast forward, Joe gave me two chances at Cleveland. So I pitched the first game, I think it was against Texas. Right. And I shut them out and then, then Cleveland and I beat them twice. Cause yeah. I just, you know what, when you have that, you know, have that mindset that nobody could beat you. It's like, it's weird. You go with it. It's like, why can't we pick numbers when there's a lottery? Because you know you visualize it, but you don't put it down, then it happens. Yeah. And you didn't put it down. But that's just how I felt against Cleveland. And so I think Joe had a little wake-up call there and says, yeah, I think I better put Boomer first against Cleveland. And that's what it was. I just I wanted him bad, well, real well, bad, especially Cleveland. Out of all teams in baseball, Cleveland was the one I always wanted to beat because of the nonsense that went on in 97. Wow. Well, that shows the competitor that you are, too, right? I mean, you wanted to go in there against the best lineup maybe in the history of baseball, as you said, and you wanted to get the ball in their stadium and shut them down, which you did in Game 5. And without that, without you shutting them down the way that you did in El Duque in Game 4 and then coming back and close it out in Game 6, the story of the 1998 Yankees could have been a story of disappointment rather than a story of climbing the highest mountain maybe in baseball history. Right. Well, it could have been, what was it, the 90, 99 Mariners. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The Mariners. We had the most games in the history, and then I think Seattle the next year beat us by one. Right. And they lost in the first round. Yeah, that's right. And, that's, and so something like that, you just, you know, that that's the GOAT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a GOAT when you can't do that because <laughs> if you can't... You win that many games in a season, and then you can't go into the next round. Something <laughs> wrong with you, man. That was crazy. 
But well, that's baseball. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, look, speaking about one of the greatest moments in Yankee Stadium history. And by the way, when I talk about Yankee Stadium, this is me, Boomer. But I got to tell you, when I am at the new stadium, I must be such a pain in the ass to sit with because I feel like an old scorned lover who's on a date and talking about his former girlfriend because I miss the old stadium so much that I keep talking about the old stadium because it's a different feeling, right? When you put on the hat at Yankee Stadium, you literally were on the same ground that Babe Ruth was on. Now you're across the street and they did a beautiful job and all that, but it's just, there's something different. No, it is. And then you're saying you might be a pain in the ass in the new stadium. Yeah. You should have seen your a pain in the ass in the old stadium you were. <laughs> oh, man. That brings up a couple of good, you know, there are a couple of different things. And one of the reasons why I always loved you, Boomer, is the way that you would engage with fans, myself included. And I'd have to say an 11-year-old Andrew Giuliani and let's say a 30-year-old David Wells, I think we were kind of on the same level maturity-wise. The truth is, though, I haven't matured at all. So I'm still on the same level that I was then. God bless you, God bless you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I remember was you would always have fun with the fans, right? You had a ball on the string that you'd pull back. Obviously, after all that, you'd sign a real ball for the kids. But there's one guy who gave me a Yankee hat that actually squirted water out of the top of the hat. And I remember I showed it to you one day. You told me, I got to get one of those. I got to get one of those. And I think I, I think I got you one of those. I don't know if I still owe you one 25 years later or not. But You owe me one 25 years later. You, <laughs> that would have been the coolest thing ever just to mess with them because I love to mess with the fans. It was always great. But you always sticking your head over the wall at the front of the dugout. And you're always like, a foul ball, come get I don't know how many baseballs I threw you in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a room full of baseballs, and it's it never got old. But, you know, one of the best baseballs in my collection is a ball that you signed after the perfect game in 1998. And I remember you ended up going to City Hall, I believe, getting the key to the city. And yeah. I remember my father coming back with a signed baseball of you. But tell me a little bit about that incredible moment, the 15th perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball only the second perfect game in Yankee history. Tell me a little about that. Well, you know how the night before, obviously, I went to uh, went to dinner with my dad and my son, Brandon. Right. And we went to Anthony's right there on 80, on 2nd and 83rd. Yep. Right on the corner. So we went there and I just, I told my dad, hey, listen, I'm going to go to Saturday Night Live. I'll be back later on. So don't <laughs> wait up. And I ended up. I didn't get home till like 5.30 in the morning, so it was a joke. Just <laughs> annihilated. And, you know, Jimmy Fallon, you know, the whole cast, Horatio, <laughs> all the boys, we were just, like, Lauren Michaels was just staring at me going, are you out of your mind? You got to pitch in a couple hours. And, and it was just like, and I was just in New York a few weeks ago, and I, I ran into Lauren, and, <laughs> and Lauren just shook his head because he was just, it's just so funny because, I mean, he's like a dad to me. I love Lauren to death. He's just so positive, you know, been with me for years right. and just treated me like a son and, and all that. And he's just like, David, <laughs> you're, it's time. You, you better. And Jimmy's like, I'm not leaving until Jimmy leaves. And Jimmy's like, I'm not leaving until you leave. So we got him one of those little, you know, 10-year-old <laughs> fats. <laughs> so so Lauren always had a car waiting for me to take me home right. after an after party, So which was very nice to him. So. <laughs> I, I got in that car and I got a couple hours of sleep. My son woke me up. I made breakfast. I drank probably a pot of coffee. <laughs> 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 I get to the stadium and it was just like David Cohn 
just his his logger and he just goes wow i go what and he goes you got to go hide i go why he goes because you stink <laughs> i go what he goes I go, yeah. he goes, no, you smell like alcohol, dude. It's coming out of your pores. Just go hide. If Joe sees you and smells you, you're done. So I went in the back room and I just kind of went through my routine, just not knowing what the hell is going to go on. Because I knew if I, if I didn't keep the team in the ball game, I was going to get fined or suspended. So I just did that. And, you know, and then, then that crap happened. Yeah. You know, it was just like, you go out there, you know, my, my warm up was so pathetic. I think I cut it in like in half, I threw two <laughs> balls out of the stadium. I couldn't throw a curveball. They were 39 feet. I was just like, what the hell? And then to go out there and throw the perfect game was, it was just above and beyond me. But, you know, it, it's crazy. It's, you know, it, it's weird how things happen in life. And for me to have that happen to me, you know, it, it's, but I wouldn't want it to be anybody else but me. Right. <laughs> and then next year, David Cohn did it. And then that brought <laughs> David Cohn and Don Larson and I, you know, together as a whole for many years until Don passed. So it was, you know, it's just nice to be in that club, us three, the three D's and, you know, to be, to be part of history, especially Yankee, you know, at Yankee stadium, all three of them are at Yankee stadium and, you know, just good things happen at Yankee stadium. So, and beyond this is a 25 year anniversary of the perfect game. So, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Is there any big celebration plans for the 25 year anniversary? Hmm. I, the Yankees called me about a month ago right. and asked me if I would for the welcome back dinner. So they wanted to honor me for the welcome back. I think it's in May. Oh, and awesome. Usually they, when we did the welcome back dinners, it was like as soon as we got up there. Right. So basically it should have been today or, or yesterday or whatever it was. And, but they, they move it up. They push it like a month, I guess now. So I'm going to be honored in that. So I'll be up there in May. That'd That's, be cool. It's, it's 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 nice. You know, the good thing about the Yankees is they always bring people back. They they do nice things for, you know, in the history of the game with players and the teams and all that kind of stuff. So it's really cool them to do that. So I'm I'm pretty it's, well. It's well deserved, David. And you know, you talk about how you always interacted with fans and all that, but you gave the fans so many great memories, not just in that day and that season, but throughout your years. Not just in the Yankees, but uh, all around. You know, one of the famous lines that I remember you saying when they were asking a little bit about your conditioning and your conditioning habits was, uh, you know, you can't pull fat. But you might have had the last laugh on that, Boomer, because you were 44 years old by the time that you retired. I know you live in the Tampa area now, along with another guy who just retired at 45, Tom Brady. So do you guys share workout tips together? How does that work? (laughs) Yeah, his, he had to be a little bit skinnier than I did because he got to run from big old 300-pound guys. But <laughs> but no, it, it's just weird. Just, you know, everyone, you know, like George Steinbrenner, he always gave me, like when I signed back, I had a weight clause. So I always, <laughs> but it started with Toronto back in my minor league days. You know, I was, I'd weigh 190 pounds. They want me to weigh 185. Yeah. It's just like, so they mess with me the whole, my whole time in Toronto, 10 years I was in the organization, they gave me crap. And I just, it just became really a nuisance and all that. When I'm, I'm 205 pounds and I'm getting fined a hundred dollars a day because they want me at 200. Right. So it was always five or something less and they were finding me for it. And I just, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, I'm in the best shape of my life and you want me to lose weight. <laughs> and I'm just like, piss on that. So George put a, put a weight clause in there. And I told him, I said, listen, George, 
you don't run the ball to the plate. <laughs> so what the hell are you giving me a weight clause for? So I was just like, so man, I really had to bust my ass because I just didn't. All I did was run. I do my my shoulder exercises, right. and that's basically all I did. But like in the off season, I would swim a lot. I'd surf because I grew up surfing in San Diego, so I was always in the water. So the water was my conditioning and basketball. I played probably seven hours a day of basketball for for many, many, many years. Right. So, but I didn't really have to do a whole lot. I was just blessed with the with the left arm and and all that stuff. So, you know, to me, it's, you know, guys that can last into their mid forties, you know, is saying something, but Tom had a, you know, he's always had a good line in front of an offensive line. Yeah. So he could, you know, hide behind guys and he knew how to play the game. He's just like me. I had nine guys behind me, but you know, I still have to throw the ball and you know, you throw it to the spots. You just, you know, you're master at your craft and it, it's, you just take a lot, a lot of pressure off yourself by just doing your job what comes so easy to us some yeah. people have to work at it but we're just blessed that's all well you know what's interesting i mean when you think about the stuff that i've read about brady's workouts and what he does you know he's not actually lifting much weights and doing that and part of the idea is that he wants to be a little bit more malleable and that you know in a, in a different way but that's a little bit kind of what you said right there, which is, you know, look, if I get all muscle bound, it's a lot easier to, for me to pull this and go on the DL. And so in some ways, you know, you had different approaches to it, but that longevity could be for a similar reason. Exactly. And to me, that's, you just want to do what's easiest for you because your body knows, you know, and it, it tells you, because to me, it's like, it's like when you're pitching and I tell kids when I was coaching my high school for nine years, it's when you have a baseball in your hand, I tell the pitchers, it's like holding an egg. Right. You grip it tight. You're going to spike it. You're going to have no control over it. It's like, and you, you're a hell of a golfer. You're a scratch golfer. Right. You know, I'm an eight or nine handicap, but to me, it's like, I'm a big dude. And I see these little bitty guys crushing it, you know, 50, hundred yards past me. I'm like, what the hell? So you muscle up and you swing as hard as you can. That's the worst thing you could do. Right. Because you're you're that you're tensing your body up, so you're not getting all you know all the the whip through through the swinging the club. You just want to be relaxed. You swing at seventy five percent, the ball goes just as far. Yeah. Instead of doing that, like you hold your change up, you hold it like an egg. You don't hold it like you don't grip the life out of it because then you spike that too. Yeah. So those are the things that you, you have to do when you realize when you're a good athlete. You know, you you just try to take a lot of the nonsense out and just make it easier on yourself. And you figure it out as an athlete. We all figure it out. Yeah. So you ended up getting traded from the Yanks in after that 1998 season oh. for Roger Clemens. I, I know that broke so many Yankee fans' hearts. It had to break your heart, too. Sure. You know, the thing was that because after we had the parade, you know, the, the World Series parade, yeah. it was great. We went and break you know, all through the, the city and then ended up at city hall at your dad's place. Yeah. And we had the big service there. And then they honor me with the key to the city. And your dad gets up and he goes, David, we're honoring. And I, and I looked at your dad. It was so funny. I go, are you sure you want to give me this key to the city? <laughs> I said, I go, there's a lot of doors I can open with this key. <laughs> your dad just looked at me, goes like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I go, Rudy, I go, this could be very dangerous. He goes, and, he, and, and after you did, he goes, enjoy that key. I hope you get into everywhere. He goes, you're safe. As long as I'm married, you're safe with me. I said, thank you, sir. 
was great. Your dad was awesome. He was a ball buster too, which was great too. So, totally. Look, he, he, I mean, he would talk to Tori probably, you know, once a month or so. And then they both ended up having prostate cancer around the same time. I think Joe before yeah. my father. So they started talking a lot more and became a lot closer. And at one point, Joe Torrey gave credit to my father for all the Yankees World Series championships. And he said, you know, Rudy would call me and he would give me advice and I would do the opposite and the Yankees would win the World Series. So I have to <laughs> I have to give him some credit for it. <laughs> the old reverse psychology. But yeah, but, you know, to me, and then so when you get that and you get such the love from the city and then and then a couple months later, you're getting traded. It's like, what the hell just happened? My world just crumbled. Yeah. But. You know, everyone knew that Joe and I didn't get along very well. And so I, I think that was just the big part of it. Him, uh, you know, how do you trade somebody that just went 18 and four fan favorite and then you let him go for, a- for Clemens? A- ALCS MVP, perfect game, yeah. you know, becomes part of Yankee lore and history. I mean, he's the ace yeah. of your staff. I feel the same way. But, you know, then you come back in 2002. And, you know, the thing that was amazing, I didn't realize this was just how good your record was. First off, you won 239 games in Major League Baseball, but as a Yankee, you were 40 games over 500, 68 and 28. And in 2002, you went 19 and 7, in 03, 15 and 7. So you came back and, you know, pitched almost as well as you did in that ALCS MVP year and perfect game year. But one of the memories that I really have is in 2003 in game seven of the ALCS. I remember after that game, I think it was you, Rocket, maybe Mel Stottlemyre was the third person, but going out, and this is kind of your love for Babe Ruth and the Yankees, going out and pouring champagne on Babe Ruth's monument in Monument Park. Yes, I remember that. That was awesome. So you're right. It was Roger, Mel, and I. We went out there to do that. And, you know, and and Roger, he, a great pitcher, you know, he's probably one of the best of all time. And, you know, he just, but his knowledge for the game was every bit as good as mine because he loved the game of baseball. He respected the, you know, his elders, obviously, of the game, the history of the game. And, and, And that was cool. But Mel, you know, Mel playing there in the glory days with Mickey Mantle and all those guys, it was just, it was a pretty cool moment for all three of us to be out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was <clears throat> just an amazing, even though the Yankees didn't win the series that year, just an incredible moment in a Yankee Stadium history. I mean, what's the loudest that you remember Yankee Stadium? I mean, it's always loud there, obviously, when, <laughs> when we're winning. Yeah. But, you know, I just, I think the, you know, for me, just because I was there, just for the 98 season when we are in the playoffs, 97, but, you know, the World Series in 98. And, you know, I, I think it was probably game one. Yeah. That first game I pitched against, it was, it was loud as can be. And it was just, you know, for me, it was music to my ears. When you got your hometown, your home crowd, just screaming and yelling like that. And, you know, and as an opposing team, when you go into others, it gets pretty, it gets kind of gnarly. Yeah. You get nervous. Your hair stands up and a lot of people, and it changes your demeanor a little bit. And, you know, that's why you see a lot of guys fail because they can't handle the pressure and the noise because they don't want that crowd dogging them. And that kind of gets to me, bring it on. The more noise, the better for me. It didn't bother me one bit. 
you know, when Tino hit the Grand Slam in Game 1, I think, f- yeah. I don't remember if it was not, but in the same inning, Tino hits the Grand Slam and Nobby ends up hitting a three-run home run. And both those guys, Tino had struggled kind of going in, if I remember, so it was kind of yeah. getting the monkey off of his back. And Nobby had the, in Game 2 of the ALCS, kind of the momentary lapse where he kind of left the ball while arguing with the ump. So it was kind of this great vindication moment for both of them in the World Series, but I remember when Tino hit that Grand Slam, like the roof went absolutely off the stadium. It was wild. That's what, that's what I'm saying. You can. I was in in the clubhouse, Were you really? when and I was like, "What the hell's going on?" And then <laughs> one of the kids said, "Hey, Tino just hit it." And I'm like, "I go," and it was so loud in the club underneath, and you can hear it roll. I thought the stadium was crumbling, man. It was like, "What the hell's going on?" <laughs> I run back out there, and it's just like it's. It was insane, but oh, it was man. awesome. Those moments, I guess people, and back then we didn't have phones, camera phones, which was awesome. Right. But if anybody <laughs> had any recordings of that and they were in those stands, you know, that's priceless. That's just so priceless. You know, after that game, you ended up going to your press conference. And for the playoff games, I would kind of go and, and watch the press conference from the back. But for some reason, I got the urge to ask you a question. I got scolded by Yankees PR for actually doing that. But I asked you a question about going to pitch in the World Series in your hometown, assuming it would go to Game 5 of the World Series. Now, obviously, you guys sweep and you know become the greatest team in baseball history. Do you wish, though, do, does part of you wish that you had that Game 5 at home in San Diego to kind of close it out? You know what? I told people I'm glad because... I went on Howard Stern before the World Series started, right? And and Howard kept he kept egging at me, you know. What do you predict to win? I go, I'm not predicting anything. It's not <laughs> fair to the Yankees. It's not fair to the Padres. Yeah, it's not fair to anybody. I said, so I'm not going to predict anything, Howard. And he just kept just poking away at me, poking away. And just, I said, you know, Howard, to shut you up, I said, I would love to win in five. <laughs> that would give me that would give me two chances. You know, to win and close. Yeah. <laughs> Start and close. The next day in the paper, Wells predicts five. You know, that that, that was our New York media for you. So it was like, you got to be kidding me. And then we got to San Diego and we, and they announced, you know, the visiting team. I got booed in my hometown, dude. And it was unbelievable how bad it was in my own hometown. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I go, sweep them. And and thank God we didn't have to because, you know, Pettit and, and Cohen, they went out and pitched their butts off and, you know, the rest was history. And, you know, thanks to Scott Brocious, you yeah. know, his, his home run was epic. So, you know, the, the sweep was great. But, yeah, to pitch game five, obviously I would have loved it, but I'm so glad I didn't. <laughs> so glad I didn't. Well, only a couple more questions because you've been so generous with your time. But what do you think about the new rule changes? You know what, Andrew? I Pat Hankin is a good buddy of mine. Where where we stayed in touch all these years when we were teammates with Toronto when we won the World Series in '92, and he's he was with the Blue Jays, and he was telling me about this. And actually, I went over to the minor league complex a couple weeks ago, and I saw what they've done. And how and I was like I was in awe, but I was just like you got to be kidding me! All this money they spent, I'm sure every minor league complex has it, but they had all these cameras, these rooms of 
these from the Rapsodo and, you know, just for the spin rate. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on this facility? I mean, it's basically AI is what they're doing. They're making all these guys robots. Right. Because we're all trying to get them to do the same thing with all this technology. And, and then, but, you know, to make the bases a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. okay, absurd. And then all of a sudden they're going to the, to the, you can only throw over if you pick off, a, try to pick them off after the third time you don't get them, he goes to second. That's a lot of BS. Shoot. I remember Sparky would have me throw over five times yeah. in a row. <laughs> if there was a guy on first that could run, he's going to, he's, he's going to mess with them a little bit. Right. And do all that. And then put a guy on second base and extra innings. The yeah, clock. I hate that. I hate that part. And then, then this clock, there's going to be a lot of guys eating a lot of guys up. It's, they're going to fix. This is going to fail. I'm just going to tell you right now, this phase is going to fail. Interesting. It has to. Okay. It has to. It has to because you're going to get so many games are going to be lost on the call of the clock. Yeah. And it happened a few times in spring training. Right. And you're going to lose a game because you didn't get into the box or you were a second over, you didn't get the ball pitched in the time length. Yeah, you can't lose a game that way. That's just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Especially in a playoff game if they do it. Game over. See you later, everybody. Uh-uh, there's going to be a lot of animosity going on. Yeah, it'll so, be no. It'll be wild to see. I mean, I know the games have gotten a lot faster, but if you're right, I mean, if it goes down to a playoff game and a team making the World Series or winning the World Series because a guy's not in the batter's box with eight or seven seconds to go or something like that, there'll be a massive, massive uprising, if you will, by whoever well, you know the hometown is. Well, if they want to change it, if they want to speed the game up, change it to seven innings. If that's the case, you want to do that, change right. it to seven innings. Or you know what? Leave it the way it is. Leave the integrity the way it is. And if you don't want to stay there for nine innings, leave. Yeah. Who gives a crap? <laughs> where the hell do, where are the umpires? They got a date that night? It's, it's <laughs> like, you know, back in the day, we say, like, we got to hurry up and get it. What, you got a date? <laughs> you know, something like that. If you don't want to stay there for nine innings, get the hell out. Well, you always, you hope, you always hope the umpires had a date because then the strike zone get a little bit bigger. So you were hoping that you'd probably set them up on some dates, I'd imagine. We try to. I know Lenny Dykstra probably did, but 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 to me, it's it's preposterous what they're trying to do. It's like I'm sure a lot of the greats are turning over in their grave right now to see this kind of change. But you know what? It's baseball is America's greatest pastime. Why are you messing with it? Why are you messing with it? It just sucks. But you know what? That's the way our technology's taken us. Pretty soon, there's going to be no umpires. Yeah, You know, it's just going to be all digital, so I can't wait to see it happen. I was never a big fan of the umpires, but you know what? At the end of the day, these umpires, they get it right pretty much, you know, high percentage of the time. Yeah, and there's also something about having, you know, looking at the old videos of Tommy Lasorda going up there and kicking dirt and Billy Martin kicking dirt on the umpire, that there's a charming baseball. Yeah, exactly. How about Earl Weaver, man? He would. <laughs> so to me, it's that's what you miss. You don't get it. So the integrity of the game, you don't get those calls. It's like, it's sad. It just really is. That's why I haven't watched baseball in five years, dude. Right. It's like, you got to be kidding. I'm going to try to go this year. I'm going to try to go to some games. I'm a buddy of mine in San Diego. Right. He has season tickets behind home plate. I used to have them when I pitched there, when they, when we opened the stadium up there, I bought three seats behind home plate. I kept them for a few years. You know, I give them out a lot, but I'm going to try it just to see, you know, when I come up to New York, I'll probably, you know, I'll come see a game, 
I'll just check it out and see if I like it in person. Yeah. Because to me, I can always turn it off at home, but it's just sad to see it just, and it's just my opinion. I just think it's sad to see the way the game's going. Well, Boomer, one final question. You've been so generous with your time already. You know, you're going down in Yankees lore as, as that ace on the greatest team of all time. One of three guys to pitch a perfect game in Yankee history. What do you want people to remember about your career or about you? You know, just that I came to pay. I don't think there's a, there's a hitter out there that cannot say I didn't challenge him. Because to me, I hated to walk guys. My record reflects that. My, you know, my walks and my career reflect that. But, you know, just as a guy came out through strikes, he was a competitor. To me, that that's the ultimate comment that you can get is this guy was a gamer and he came to play every five days that to me it's pretty simple but you know what the good thing is i did it my way i didn't you know from ownerships to the front office to ownerships all that stuff i pretty much you know burned my britches a lot because i spoke my mind i'm a grown man don't treat me like a two-year-old and let me go out there and do my job don't worry about what i do off the field if it reflects on my pitching then yeah pull me aside say hey knock it off but it didn't so to me, I did it my way, and I was a competitor. Well, David, you certainly were a competitor, and I can tell you as a Yankee fan and having talked so much Yankee history with so many other Yankee fans, you put so many smiles on the face of Yankee fans during your career that you know we thank you for that. And I just want to thank you for the time today. Thanks a lot, Boomer. You got it, Andrew. Anytime, buddy. Good luck with this, and you're, you're off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's David Boomer-Wells. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Not That Andrew. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.